Last part of that last verse we read together in Psalm 78, verse 41. The Bible makes what I think is a startling statement. It says, they, the Israelites, limited the Holy One, God, of Israel. Think about it. The Holy One of Israel. God omnipotent. God all-powerful. Yet here's a statement in the Bible that says that the omnipotent can be limited. When you li- limit somebody, you put uh, boundaries around them and you say, you've got you to stay in these lines. I mean, we have limits today. We have speed limits. Those are supposed to be limits that we, yeah. <laughs> Preach to yourself, preacher, right? I can hear what you're saying out there. <laughs> but those speed limits are supposed to be limits that we stay within. We're supposed to obey those speed limits. Uh, we have uh, property lines that define uh, uh, limits of where we can build upon. If you build your garage over the property line, you're in real trouble because if you don't get along with your neighbor, they can make you tear it down and, and move it. Uh, gravity is a limit. It limits my ability to fly. It limits my ability to jump off tall buildings without getting hurt. It limits your ability to do that as well. And so we have limits in our world. But this, this statement in Psalm 40, or 78 verse 41 is startling because here's the weak, mankind, limiting the omnipotent. Here's the creature limiting the creator. Here's the temporal limiting the eternal. Here's man limiting God. This morning I preach a sermon I've entitled, How We Limit God. And, I, and it's a New Year's sermon. It's a sermon I wanted to preach before the New Year started because if you find yourself doing what I'm going to talk about this morning, I want you to stop doing it. Let God out of the box. Take the lines away from God. Let God be God. Don't limit the omnipotent. Let God be omnipotent in your life. Psalm 78 is a historical summary of God's dealing with Israel. It It recounts how God delivered his people from Egypt, how he brought them through the wilderness to the promised land. Right in the middle of that chapter is the verse that we read a moment ago, How the verses that we read a moment ago, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How'd they do it? How did man limit God? How did the weak limit the omnipotent? They did it by not believing that God could do what he said he would do. That's how they limited him. They limited him. They put lines around God. They said, you can't get out of these lines by their lack of faith, by their not believing that God was able to do every bit of what he said he could do. Uh, Numbers 14, God brought the people out of Egypt Egypt, through the wilderness, brought them up to the border of the promised land, brought them to the Jordan River. He said to his people, I prepared this land for you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land where the grapes of Esco grow. Uh, and, And he says, I want you to go in and possess it. I promised it to Abraham. I promised it to Isaac. I promised it to Jacob. Now it's time for me to keep that promise. Go in, take the land, it's yours. 
Well, the people elected the committee. They spent, sent 12 spies in. The spies spent 40 days uh, looking at the land. And they came back and said, oh, God's right. This is a rich land. This is a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at, here's some of the grapes we brought back. Aren't they, aren't, aren't, aren't they luscious? It's a wonderful place that God has for us. But, 10 of the 12 spies said, but, the cities are walled. The people are giants. In fact, they, 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 they said, uh, uh, and, and, and the people and the children, let me read it from Numbers 14, uh, uh, Numbers 13, verse 33, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. The people said, we've seen the people. They're giants. There's no way that we can defeat this people. There's no way we can take the land. And God said, look, I'll take care of the giants. I'll take care. I'll drive them out. In fact, I'll send bees. I'll send hornets. And they'll drive the giants out of the land. I'll give you the land. Don't walk by sight. Don't walk by what you can see. Walk by faith. Believe me that I'm able to do what I told you that I could do. Now let me read from Numbers chapter 14 where the Bible says this. And all the children of Israel murmured, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return unto Egypt. These people did not believe God. They did not believe that God could do what he said he would do. And here's what God said when they refused to go in. I read from again from Numbers chapter 14. And all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness... And listen to this next phrase. And have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. And God drove his people back into the wilderness. He he had them spend 40 years in the wilderness, a year for every day that the spies spent in the land. And God said, everybody that's over 20, they're going to die in this 40 years in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. They were the two spies that said, hey, if God be for us, who can be against us? We can go into the land and we can take the land. And everybody, and that's what happened. They spent 40 years in the wilderness and everybody over 20, except for these two men, died before God would take them into the promised land. Again, this wasn't the first time they doubted God. We read in that verse, they tempted me, they tempted God ten different times. Ten different times they said, God can't do it. God said he was going to do this, but God can't do it. Now, nine of those times, God went ahead and did it anyway. He said, I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you believe me or not. I'm going to do it anyway. But the tenth time, he says, I can't do it. You've limited me. You put a boundary around me, and because of your lack of faith, because of your disbelief, I can't do it. Now, 
Because I want you to understand a certain word, I want to quickly review what those ten times were that the children of Israel limited God or disbelieved God or tempted God. The first time was at the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14. The Egyptian army was behind them. The Red Sea was in front of mountains on either side. The people said, we're going to die. There's no way that God can help us. God said, you're not going to die. Moses, lift up your rod. Go forward. And he divided the Red Sea. They didn't believe there was a way out. God said, I don't care if you believe me or not. I'm going to show you a way out. And he sent them across the Red Sea on dry ground. The second one was after they crossed the Red Sea and they came to a place called Mara, which means bitter water. They were thirsty. Again, the people said, we have nothing to drink. We're going to die. The water is bitter. There's nothing that God can do. God said, I don't care if you believe I can do it or not. I'm going to, I'm going to make the water, I'm going to make the water taste good. It's going to taste sweet. And he showed Moses a tree. He said, Hey, take a, take a branch of that tree, throw it in the water, and the water will become sweet. And it did. The third time was when they were in the wilderness of sin in Exodus chapter 16. They were hungry. They began to complain again. They said, we should have stayed in Egypt. We had plenty to eat. There's no way that God can feed a crowd like this in the wilderness. And God said, I don't, believe, I don't care if you believe me, I can do it or not. I'm going to do it anyway. And God sent manna from heaven. The fourth time had to do with that manna. God said, don't gather more than you need. Because if you gather more than you need, it's going to rot and breed worms. Well, the people didn't believe him. God said, I don't care if you believe me or not. If you gather too much, it's going to rot and breed worms. That's exactly what happened. The fifth time also had to do with the manna. God said, I'm not going to send it on the seventh day. I'm going to send you twice as much on the sixth day. The seventh day is the Sabbath. I'm going to send you twice as much on the sixth day. And it's not going to rot. And it's not going to breed worms. And the people said, I don't think God can do it. Every time we've gathered too much before, it's rotted and bred worms. And they they, they didn't gather enough on the sixth day. They went out on the seventh day looking for the manna again, and there wasn't any. And again, God said, I don't care if you believe me or not. I'm going to do what I say. The sixth time, they read Horeb. They were thirsty again. There wasn't bitter water for God to make sweet. And they said again, we're going to die. There's no way that God can provide water in this wilderness, in this desert. And again, God said, I don't care what you believe. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. And he made water come out of a rock. Amen. The, the seventh time, they were in Sinai, where they built a golden calf. And God said, he, 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 he had already told them not to have any other, they'd already got the Ten Commandments, they'd already received the command from God not to, to build any uh, false gods. And, and they didn't believe the punishment that God uh, ascribed to that. And they built a golden calf and God came down and punished them. Verse number eight and number nine had to do with flesh to eat. Again, they were in the wilderness. They were hungry. They wanted meat to eat. They said there's no way that God can provide meat in the wilderness. And both of those times, even though they did not believe it, God sent quail. And they had meat. One time they had so much of it, God said, hey, I'm going to give it to you. It's going to run out your nose. You're going to get sick of it. Nine times they didn't believe God. 
nine times, God said, it doesn't matter, I'm going to do it anyway, and he worked a miracle. Number 10 was what we talked about in Numbers 14 when they came to the Jordan River at the door of the promised land. God said, go in, it's yours. The people said, no, we don't believe you can give it to us. And God said, okay, I'm not going to give it to you. You're going to go into the wilderness and all you're going to die except for two of you. That word limit, it comes from a word that means scraping away. Scraping away. And what God was saying is that you've limited me by tempting me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And now you've done it nine times. Nine times I operated as God regardless of your lack of faith. But this tense time, you're right. I'm not going to take you into the promised land. You don't have enough faith. You should have, based on what you've seen so far, everything I've done to take care of you, everything I've done to defeat your enemies, everything I've done to bring you out of Egypt, everything I've done to feed you, everything I've done to give you water to drink, you should have had enough faith that when I said, I'll take care of the enemies, I'll take care of the giants, you should have had enough faith to go in and say, okay, God can do it. We're going to take it. But you limited me. And I, I am not going to give you the promised land. You're all going to die. We look back at the Israelites and we say, what a foolish people. What a, what, what a people that, that, that missed an opportunity to, 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 to go in and take what God has given them. And we, we, we look at them and we don't understand how they think. But I, wanna, I submit to you that today we do the same thing. We limit God. We draw lines about around God, and we say, don't get out of the lines. We put God in a box, and we say, don't get out of the box. Now, oftentimes, regardless of our lack of faith, God will still be God, and God will still operate, and God will still do what he promises to do. But there are times in every Christian's life where God does what he did to the Israelites on the occasion when they didn't go into the promised land. He says, you've limited me. You've just scraped away, and you've done it over and over and over and over and over, and this time I'm not going to be God. We limit God. This morning, for my message, I want to give you four ways in which, quickly in which we limit God. Number one, we limit God when we don't present our bodies as living sacrifices to him. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God here's what God says. I made you. We talked about it in Sunday school. Uh, you, you say, and I know some of you might say, hey, preacher, I was not made by God. I was born. And I'll say the same thing I did in Sunday school. You would not be here unless God wanted you here. Amen. You would not be here. You are here because God wants you here. And God has given you talents. And God has given you abilities. And God has given you ways of looking at things. And God has given you the parents that he gave you in the home that you have. And the experiences that you have experienced in your life. And he's worked it all together. And the God that made you has a good and perfect will for your life. 
That will for your life will make you happy. That will for your life will give you a sense of purpose. That, I mean, you were made. You were made by God. You were formed by God. You were equipped by God to do exactly what God made you for. He wants to use you in a mighty way for his kingdom. And he just wants you to submit yourself as a living sacrifice unto him so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. And we say, no. We limit God. We say, God, I know more about me than you do. I know more about what will make me happy and give me a sense of purpose. I know more about me and my life and how it should be spent and what I should do with my life than you do. And God says, okay. If that's the way you want it, you can make your own decisions. And we end up making our own decisions. We ended up, we end up, many, many Christians end up this way, living a life they were not made for. Unfulfilled. Unhappy. You say, preacher, how can a Christian be unhappy? They're on their way to heaven. I know. Christians ought to be happy because they're going to heaven. But Christians could be so much happier and so much more satisfied if they wouldn't limit God, if they take God out of the box, if they erase the lines around God and say, God, you know more about me than I do. You made me. You equipped me. You have a perfect will for my life. And I'm stepping aside. I'm putting aside my will. I want your will for my life. I want to prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Would you do that? Would you submit your bodies a living sacrifice to God? If you don't, you're drawing a line around God. You're putting them in a box and say, you can't be God in this area of my life. We're limiting God. Number two, we limit God when we don't pray. goes along with our Sunday school lesson this morning. Jeremiah 33, 3, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. We talked about in Sunday school this morning that we have a God that is more powerful than we'll ever know. That is able to do far beyond what we ask, far beyond what we think. And we have that kind of God that has that kind of power. And that God says to us, just ask, just pray. I'll show you things in answer to prayer that you haven't even thought of. Things you can't even imagine. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. We have a big God that can answer big prayers. But if God, if, if other people looked at what we prayed and measured the size of our God by the size of our prayers, they would say, you got a puny God. A puny God. Why? We limit him. We don't believe he's able to answer our big prayers, and we don't pray. James says, you have not because you ask not. I wish I could get every single person here this morning to make a resolution in 2016 that says, I'm going to ask God for big things. I'm going, to take the, I'm going to take God out of the box. I'm going to erase the lines that I've drawn around him. I'm going to believe that God is omnipotent, that God can do anything, and I'm not going to limit my prayers by what I think God can do. God can do beyond what I think, and I'm just going to ask God for big things. 
in 2016. We limit God when we don't pray. Number three, we limit God when we don't tithe. Malachi 3.10, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. The tithe is 10%. I believe the tithe is 10% of the gross. I believe we ought to give it to God cheerfully. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. We ought to look forward to tithing just like we, a kid looks forward to the holiday we just celebrated, Christmas. When we, when, when we get paid, when we get our income, we ought to say, good, 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 good. I, I get to give God what's rightfully his. And as Josh prayed this morning, I not only get to give a tithe, I'm going to try to give an offering. Sometimes I think God, sometimes, here's what we as Christians do. We tip God instead of tithe. And most of us are not very good tippers. Did you hear the story about that guy? Went to a restaurant down south. He was new in the area, and so he goes up to the waiter before he orders. He says, hey, I'm new here. I don't know the customs. What's the average tip? And the waiter said, well, the average tip is so-and-so, certain percentage. So the guy ordered his meal. The waiter served him. He left his tip, and as he was walking out, he was noticing the waiter over there was just staring at his tip. And he came back over and said, did I misunderstand? I don't want to insult you. I thought you said the average tip was such and such. And the waiter said, yeah, that's right. But you're the first one that ever came up to the average. (laughs) And sometimes I think God looks at what we give them and said, maybe I should adjust their income so what they've given me is their tithe. Huh? Huh? God can do that. God says, you, you give me what's mine. I'll open the windows of heaven, and I'll pour you out a blessing you can't receive. Now, look, don't say, oh, the preacher says if I tithe, I can go out and buy a lottery ticket, and I'll win a million because God's going to open the windows of heaven and pour me out. I didn't say that. Sometimes the blessings are God. The blessings of God have nothing to do with money and wealth. The blessings of God sometimes are health. The blessings of God sometimes are good family relationships. The blessings of God sometimes are obedient children. Amen. Worth far more than any amount of money. And yet people, this is what amazes me, people put more faith in the lottery where their chances of winning are a zillion to one as opposed to believing what the Almighty God says in that book and says, if you give back to me what's mine in the first place, I'll open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't have room enough to receive it. We limit God. And then number four, we limit God when we reject his son, Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. Who, who's got that tie? Oh, Brother Don. Brother Don got a tie for Christmas that has John three sixteen printed on it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God says, I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anybody to go to hell. God says, I want everybody to go to heaven. God says, I want everybody to be part of my family. I want everybody to come live with me forever. I want everybody to come to that place where there is no night. It's one of the things I love about heaven. I, m- m- most nights I don't want to go to bed. 
Most nights. There are some nights where I want to go to bed. I don't ever remember a morning where I wanted to get up. So I'm happy there's going to be a place where there is no night. No pain. No tears. No separation. No graveyards. No undertakers. No hospitals. No doctors. Hey, hey, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. And God says, I want everybody to come to heaven with me. I'll take you there if you believe in my son, Jesus Christ. And what he did on Calvary to pay for your sins. And yet people turn away from Jesus Christ. They turn away from the price that he paid for their salvation on Calvary. Some of them try to get right with God other ways. They think they can live a good life. And I always ask the question when I run into people, how good do you got to be to deserve heaven? How many sins can you commit before God will send you to hell? There's no answer to that question. The Bible says one sin makes us a sinner and the wages of sin is death. There's no way that we can live a good enough life to deserve to be right with God and go to heaven. There's no way we can pay enough money. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And people walk away from Jesus. They walk away from God. Some people don't believe there is a heaven. They don't believe there is a hell. They don't believe what God says about either place. They think when this life is over, they're going to die, and that's going to that's going to be it. And the moment they wake up after they die, and they wake up in hell, in the fires of hell, they're going to realize that God knew what he was talking about. And they limit God because they reject the Savior. Now listen, if you're here this morning, there's not a better way to start 2016. I know we're not there yet, but we will be on on Friday. There's not a better way to start the year 2016 than for you to get right with God. For you to get your sins forgiven. For you to get your sin debt forgiven. And you can only do that through Jesus Christ. This morning, in just a second, we're going to have an invitation song. We're going to sing, and I'm going to invite people to come that don't know Jesus Christ to come forward. We'll take this book, and we will show you from this book how to ask Jesus to be your Savior. If you're here and you've never done that, not a better way to end the year, not a better way to start the year than coming to Christ, asking him to be your Savior. Would you do that this morning if you're here and you're not saved? That's why you're here. I mean, you're not here just by accident. You're here because God wanted you here. You're here because God wanted you to hear the gospel. You're here because he wanted to give you another opportunity to receive him as your Savior. Would you do that this morning? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you put the story of the Israelites in the Bible so that we can learn from their mistakes. And Father, I pray if there's one here that's never received Christ, they would take the limits off of you. They would believe what you say about eternity, about heaven and hell, and they would believe that Jesus is the only one that makes a difference. And this morning they would come and receive the gift of salvation that is purchased for every person. I pray for the Christians that are here. In some area of our life, if we are limiting God, if we are limiting you, I pray we'd take you out of the box. I pray we'd erase the lines. I pray we would let you be God. Just bless this time of invitation. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. Help us to be obedient to your leading and to to your direction. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.